0: If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the Gospel according to John. We will be in John chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 35 in just a moment. John chapter 1 and verse 35, and uh, starting today and over the next few weeks, we're going to begin a a little series I'm going to call, The Invitations of the Bible. And we're going to focus primarily on the invitations that Jesus gave to people and uh, what those things teach us and what they mean to us. But we're not necessarily going to look only at the ones that Jesus gave, but we're going to focus on those the most. Now, where, where we pick up today in the life and ministry of Christ, it's, of course, right at the beginning of the gospel. And so... As you might have guessed, uh, it's very early on in the ministry of Jesus. He's about 30 years old, and his cousin, John the Baptist, comes onto the scene, and he begins to, uh, to, to cause quite a stir. And you know, if you know the, the, the biblical story, you know that John the Baptist came out, and he was, uh, he, he was preaching, he was preaching repentance, calling people to, uh, to turn to God, prepare uh, their, their hearts and their, their lives for the kingdom of God, because it was at hand. He said, prepare for the coming Messiah, and so then Jesus comes onto the scene. And he makes quite a stir as well and, and of course John's his whole role was to prepare the way of the Lord. Now Jesus comes to him in, uh, in, in the first part of, of his ministry right before, right as he's beginning to get out and uh, begin preaching himself, he's baptized by John as an example for us and then he's led into the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil. Now just a day or two after that is where we pick up in our, uh, in our text. John has identified Jesus as the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. He's pointed Him out. He's declared Him publicly. He's said that He's not the Christ, but Jesus is the Christ, and so forth. And so today, he's going to point Jesus out to two of His disciples, who, who then begin to follow Him. So if you found John chapter 1 and are able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's Word. We'll pick up in verse 35 and read down to verse 41. Verse <clears> 41. <throat> It says, Again the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. Thank you. You may be seated. Now there are, I've broken down the text into into three main headings, and they all start with the letter I. And the first is the word influence. We need to to use the influence that we have in in people's lives to appoint them to Jesus. We need to use our influence to point people to Jesus. Now, if you'll, if you'll look back at the first part of our text, the scene opens up with John the Baptist standing there with two of his disciples. Now, in, in, I think, common common church life, we tend to think of Jesus as being the only one that had disciples back then, but that's not the case. A lot of people had disciples because a disciple simply means a learner. And a lot of people had learners, had disciples back then. There were a lot of religious teachers at the time, and I mean, we, we, we kind of get what's going on I think, because it's not terribly dissimilar to today. And what I mean by that is, you know, if, if you've been in different churches, if you've heard preaching on the radio, if you've seen uh, preachers on TV, you know that not every preacher preaches the same way. Some preachers, uh, their, their style, it, it, it really confuses you. Maybe they use words that you don't understand. Maybe, um, maybe it's, just, it's just not clear. You just don't get it. Other people, when you listen to them, it's just like everything just opens up, and it's so easy to understand, and, and, you, and you get it. And so you tend to gravitate towards those people that, that, that you get it from. And so, uh, so these religious leaders, they had these disciples. They would gather around them. They would gravitate towards them, and it would be just like today. People would go to them because they, they, they felt that these religious leaders, these religious teachers would open up the scriptures to them, and they could understand. And so John the Baptist had disciples. He had people that were gathered around him and, and would listen to him. They followed his ministry. And he was, uh, again, his ministry was not about himself. He was preparing the way for Jesus. Now, when Jesus began his public ministry, finally, notice that John did not try to keep his disciples to himself. He didn't guard against them. He didn't say, well, this is my crowd. Y'all, uh, y- y- you don't need to listen to anybody else. He didn't try to steer them away from Jesus. Instead, he pointed them to the Messiah. And listen, that is the job, that is the role, that is the function of every minister of the gospel. Our job as preachers, as teachers, as evangelists, is not to accrue a following for ourselves. Our job, our role, is not to have a fan base. Our job is to point people to Jesus. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking, yep, that's right. But listen, that's your job too. Now, you say, well, I'm, but I'm not a pastor, I'm not, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a teacher. You don't have to be a teacher or a preacher. You don't have to be up in the, in the spotlight, so to speak. You don't have to be the one that's up in front of people to have this role. Every Christian is a minister in one form or another. Now, your ministry doesn't look like your neighbor's, and that's okay. It's not supposed to look like your neighbor's, because God uses all of us uh, doing our own uh, our, our ministries in our, in our own sphere to accomplish his missions. But listen, your job as a, as a Christian is to be a minister. And whatever that ministry looks like, whether it's, it's through leading up front or working in the shadows in the background, you have a job, you have a function and a role in a ministry. And the one job that each of us has, no matter what external, what what, no, no matter what, no matter how that ministry looks, the one job that we all have is to point people to Jesus. Our role as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, is to point people to the Lord. Now you should say, "Well, I don't have a big sphere. I don't have a big circle of friends. I don't have a big sphere of influence. Now some of us now, if you're on Facebook, and I know this is not a real accurate representation but some of us have like a thousand friends in our face, on our Facebook page. I don't even know a thousand people. And, some, and some, some of us here may have a thousand people that we're friends with, not just that we know. Others of us, we can probably count the number of people that we really have a sphere of influence, those, those people we could probably count on one or two hands. That's okay. We don't have to have the same sphere of influence, but we all have a sphere, even if it's a, little, if it's a little one. Now, you think about John. John the Baptist was a firebrand. I mean, he got lots of people worked up. He got a lot of attention. People would come to him. They, they, they heard the message of, of, of the gospel and so forth. And Jesus said, among men, there's no one greater than John. But notice how many people are with John at this point. Dos. Two people. Two disciples are with John. So you say, well, I don't have a big big crowd that follows along with me. That's okay. John didn't either. But what did he do? He pointed the two that was with him to Jesus. Use the influence that you have to point people to the Lord. Now, if you're like me, sometimes I get focused on the details. Because I look at that and I say... Huh, he's standing with two of his disciples. I wonder who those were. Now, verse 40 tells us that one of them was Andrew. Now, we know about Simon Peter. He was, he was the mouthpiece. He, and just like many people that, that run their mouths, he oftentimes got it wrong, put his foot in his mouth, and, and jumped ahead and, and did all these things. He was, not, uh, he was an early follower of Jesus, but he, wasn't, he, he was brought to Jesus by his brother. He was brought to Jesus by his lesser-known brother, Andrew. We know that's one of them. We don't know who the other one is. A lot of people have different ideas. I think it's probably the Apostle John. And the reason I say that is because this is John's gospel. John is the one, if, if you'll notice throughout many of these uh, accounts, he gives little details that an eyewitness would give, but he doesn't talk about himself. He may name himself as the beloved disciple, the disciple that Jesus loved, or, or something like that, or he just leaves himself unnamed. Now, I think that's probably what he does here. He doesn't draw attention to himself he just mentions that there was another disciple there. That's kind of beside the point. We don't know who it is, but the fact of the matter is, these men followed Jesus. Now, um, so, so the first thing is influence. We need to use our influence to point people to the Lord. And, and it doesn't have to be through, through, through a message, it doesn't have to be through sharing the gospel in, in like a, a witnessing encounter. Just in our daily lives, the way that we act, the things that we say, the the language that we use, being a peacemaker, those things can point can point people to the Lord. The second thing I want you to see is investigation. Investigation. John points these men to Jesus, and they begin to follow along behind him. And notice his question: "What do you seek? What do you seek?" Understand, Jesus is not being rude here. He, He is not saying, "What do you want?" He's not saying, what are you following me for? He is not trying to shut them down. He's not being rude to them. He's not trying to run them off. You know, I, I think if, if it was me, I kind of sound like Oscar the Grouch. You know, scram. Yeah, yeah, but that's not, that's not Jesus. Thankfully, he's not like me or Oscar. So, so he says, Why are you, what, what do you seek? He's giving them the opportunity to, 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 to state their desires, their wishes regarding him to lay open their heart. What are you seeking? Why are you following me? Now, obviously, they were on the path of faith. They were still trying to sort out exactly what they believed about Jesus, what they should believe about Jesus, who this man was. They're trying to sort all that out. And it may be that today you are considering the claims of Christ. You've heard about God. You've read different things in the Bible. You've gone to church. You've done all those things. You've been around Christians, but you've never actually follow Christ you never actually bowed the knee to him and listen if that is you if you are seeking God that is a good sign because that is a sign that God is drawing you to himself you say well how can you say that as a blanket statement because Romans chapter 3 verses 10 and 11 says as is written there's none righteous not even one there's none who understands there is none who seeks God and Jesus said much the same thing in John 6 40. He said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. If you're left to your own devices, you will not seek God. You cannot seek God unless God draws you to himself. And so these men, this is clearly an evidence of these, that the Spirit is at work in these men's lives. And listen, if, if, if you are seeking him today, it's because the Spirit is drawing you. And I will say the same thing Scripture says. If that's you, don't harden your heart. While, you, while it's still called today, respond in faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Now to our ears, their answer is kind of, kind of weird, right? Because he says, what do you seek? And look at their answer. They said, where are you staying? What? I mean, you, you would think they would say, well, Jesus, John said that you are the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. What does that mean? John said that that you're the Lamb of God. How so? John said this. How does that work? How, what should I do? But instead, they say, "Where are you staying?" Now, why would they say that? Well, remember, ancient Near Eastern customs and manners are a lot different than 21st century American manners, namely because they existed. Uh, Americans, it doesn't seem like there are too many manners these days but they had some back then and so for instance, and I'll give you an example and try to tie it into this in Genesis chapter 23 which is of course many generations before this event happened Genesis chapter 23, Abraham is traveling his wife Sarah has died he needs, because he's, he's traveling through the land he needs a place to bury his wife and so he goes to the Hittites whose land he was in and he, he approaches the people of this city and he says, I need to bury my wife and and I'd like to buy a field and, and a cave for my burial plot. And they say, well, you're you're this great man among us. You just take whatever piece of land you want. You can just have it. And, and Abraham says, well, the piece of land I'm, I'd really like is this certain field with a certain cave in it. And Everybody knows the property. They all look at this guy named Ephron who owns it. And here's, here's how the interaction goes. Ephron, the owner, said, No, my lord, uh, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that's in it. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. So he says, Here it is. Have it. But Ab- and Abraham bowed before the people of the land. He spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you'll only please listen to me. I will give you the price of the field, accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. So Abraham says, this is the property I'd like. The guy says, you can have it. He says, no, nope. you name your price. Now if it's us, we're going to say, I'll take X amount of dollars for it, right? This guy doesn't say it. Listen to, listen to how he, he tells him how polite it is. Then Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver, what is that between me and you? Bury your dead. So he names this price, but that was really a nice way of saying it, wasn't it? He doesn't say, this is what I want, and I'm going to stick it to you. I'm going to, I'm going to, he doesn't do any of that. He says, you know, just between me, this, this little amount of money, that's nothing between us. It's a very polite way of doing it. Now, I say all that to say this. When we get in here to our text today, Jesus says, what are you seeking? They say, where are you staying? They're politely inviting themselves over. Have you, ever, have you ever had somebody invite themselves over? Or try to? Some of us know when somebody's trying to invite themselves over and we ain't buying it. We're, nope, nope, you ain't coming through my door, I, you know, for whatever reason. It ain't happening. Others of us welcome them with, with open arms. Jesus, they're, they're, they're in, in a very polite way, kind of a roundabout way, we might think, they're inviting themselves over. It's like they're saying, you know what? We would like to talk to you more. We want to investigate, we want to talk to you, we want to to, to get some instruction, we want to be fully convinced in our minds that you are the Messiah, and our questions do not lend themselves to a roadside discussion. We want to come to your house, where you're staying, and spend some time with you. And here's the last thing I want you to see, and that's the invitation. Jesus' response, they say, where are you staying, and what is his response? Come, and you'll see. Notice he doesn't check their qualifications. He doesn't say, um, before we go, when you vote, do you vote for R or D or something else? He doesn't say, um, do you have any kind of theological degree? Uh, what, what is, let, let, let's have a theological litmus test, to make sure you have all your theology 100% correct. He doesn't say, uh, what's your country of origin? Who are your parents? He didn't berate them. He doesn't refuse them. He doesn't put them off. He welcomed them to come to Him. And listen, today He'll do the same thing with you and with me. He'll welcome any who come to Him. If you seek Him, you'll find Him. If you want to follow Him, He will not turn you away. Now, I want want you to note what He says. He says, come and you'll see. You will see who He is. He proved he was. The amazing thing at this point, Jesus had not done the miracles. Jesus had not healed the sick. He had not caused the blind to see, the lame to walk. He had not raised people from the dead. He hadn't calmed the storm. He hadn't walked on water. He had not risen from the dead himself. And yet there was enough evidence that these men were convinced that he was the promised Messiah, even before all that. Now, today, we're on the other side of all those events. He's healed. He's done he's, he's, he's all the stuff. He's, he's uh, risen from the dead. And coming to him is not something we do without proof. Jesus is who he claimed to be. Now, we don't know exactly what time these guys went to Jesus. It says that, that uh, from the 10th hour, that's depending on if it was Jewish time or Roman time. It was either 4 in the afternoon or 10 in the morning. But, but they spent a long time with him. And they were forever changed. And listen, if you would come to him today, you'll be changed too. They become in simple, childlike faith. He will wash you and cleanse you, make you whiter than snow. He doesn't check your credentials. He doesn't, he doesn't add requirements. His requirement is simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. And if you are a believer today, this is a reminder not for us not to delude the message of the cross with extra stuff, because we are saved on the basis of faith alone in Christ alone. The end. And so in all things we need to strive to point people to Jesus, use your influence to lead them to him. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come? Nancy stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around I think the question that Jesus asked these men why are you following me? What are you wanting? That's a, that's a pertinent question for each Christian. Why are you following Jesus? Are you doing it because you think that that's a socially acceptable thing to do? You'll get social capital out of the all that? Are you following him because you think that if I just do this things will go better in my life? are you doing it because he is a gracious Lord and Savior and he has saved you and you don't deserve it and you know it? Maybe you're again maybe you're Considering the claims of Christ, if you are seeking Him, it's because He is first seeking you. So, the proper response is trust in faith. Trust in faith. Trust Christ. Believe on Him. Repent of your sins. Our Heavenly Father. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, uh, the invitation of Christ not only to these uh, first disciples but also to us that if we will come to you that you'll not cast us out, you'll not refuse us, but you'll welcome us with open arms. And God, I pray that you would help us to follow you for the right reasons. And Lord, I pray that if there's somebody who's hearing me today that's never accepted Christ as their Savior, that, that you would draw them to yourself and they would examine the claims of Christianity, the claims of Christ, and they would trust you for salvation. Again, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be sensitive to your spirit, that you'd help us to use the influence that we have, such as, as it is, to point people to the Lord.